Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Five listener questions. I know I've been doing six, but I had five and I was ready to go. And they're shorter. One of the reasons I enjoy being on Hobby Hotline and Jeremy Lee's Sports Cards Live get to some live interaction where people are asking things. And so here are five more questions. Eclectic, no cohesion there. That's why they're not individual episodes. But thanks, sponsors. Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck. Mike's Stadium Sports Card, Burbank Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Question number one was about autographs. And I'm not going to say who it was from, but just lamenting the fact that I've heard this before that the younger athletes don't even have ability to write cursive. And so they're what would either be a primitive or a minimalist autograph. All I can say on that is that I'm not in favor of it. I'm not sure how to police it. But my rule is if it's not recognizable on a plain three by five, for Steve Grad or Jimmy Spence or any of the other fine authenticators that are out there, if they can't recognize it on a plane three by five to know what sport, what player it is, to me, that's unacceptable. I, I would hope that athletes would be proud of their signature, whether they're signing for money or for free. Question two, again, not going to mention who this is either, but they were talking about at Beckett Publications. What was it like setting prices back in the day? Again, just to set the record straight, we weren't predicting prices, we weren't setting prices, we were trying to reflect prices. So more historical, as has been pointed out, we did make use of ratio, especially for parallels, other things like that. But as much as possible, we were trying to use empirical data to establish what cards were going for, not what they should be going for or what they will be going for, but what they uh, were going for as best to our ability with the empirical data available at the point of publication, which with print publications, there's a little bit of lag there, but we worked very hard and it sure would have been a lot easier if all I had to do was just throw a dart at a board or just pick out a price and write it down. Again, we wouldn't have had the following if we weren't accurate. People had to see our prices and say, well, that, that sounds about right. And if we were a little off one month for whatever reason, we were going to try to do better the next time. So we got great feedback from uh, collectors and dealers out there. Question three is asking about the long-term uh, health of the fractional industry and whether or not the fractional industry requires a bull market to thrive. And I would say it's pretty obvious if, if you were Collectible or Rally Road or any of these that are doing a fractional in any market, they like it a lot better if it's a bull market, if things are going up. Um, but if things are not going up, there's still a place for the fractionals. I would like to own a portion of a Wagner or a portion of uh, a 52 Tops Mantle or any other glamour card that I would be reluctant to spend huge bucks for. So I think fractionals can still be uh, a viable and healthy alternative for the cards that are out of reach for 90.9%. Where fractionals could get in trouble in a mixed market or even a down market is if they are acquiring things at, at too high a price or they are moving down market. I don't like their market basket kinds of things. I like the unbelievable stuff that they're coming up with that to be your best chance at it is getting a piece of it because there's only one of something or there's such a limited number and such a high price. So again, fractionals are getting investment and surely that external investment from private equity does not require the assumption that there's going to be a bull market for the rest of their lives. Question four was from Brent Coates. Brent was responding to the post-serial episode that I did with Ken Marks, which has been a while now, but any of these episodes that are very particular to a certain set and that I do with a person that has wonderful memory. People like those. And so Brent was mentioning that it, it reminded him of his experience with his dad. His dad was pretty close to my age and his dad also had a heart attack, but he's survived it. Many people do not survive a heart attack. 40% of the people get a heart attack. Their first symptom and their only symptom is sudden death. So I'm very blessed to get a second chance. Brent's dad got a second chance. 
any rate, <laughs> Brent's dad had a collection of almost complete, very close to complete, of the post-serial cards. And 61, 2, and 3. So his dad, that would have been in his wheelhouse, in my wheelhouse as well. And then later as a collector, I put those sets together. They are really tough to complete. There's some really tough cards. So he was writing me for a couple of reasons. One, that I can't help him, that he needs Willie Davis, card number 119, which is a very tough card. I had it, but I no longer have it. So I don't. But that's the only card he and his dad and his brother need for completing that run, which again is an amazing accomplishment. So maybe somebody out there has a 63 post, not Jello, but post Willie Davis. And the other is he just was appreciating episodes like that. Any of the Father's Day episode and things that talk about uh, generational transfer, there's a lot of fathers and sons that appreciate that. So my question to you, Brent, is what are you going to do next? <laughs> if you did get the Willie Davis card, would you stop? Because it sounds like you and your dad and your brother are having a good time in that journey. And it, it, uh, I might suggest that you could move to uh, the, the Canadian version, of the Canadian post for the uh, 62 post, or you could move to the uh, Jellos that are, it would talk about a really tough set. So 62 and 63 Jellos, or you could switch to football. I'll be doing episodes about all those. And then there's also CFL, Canadian Football League. Not sure you want to go. Canadian baseball would be fun. If you go up to Toronto or uh, contact with somebody from Canada, there's enough of them up there that you can make a good run at that. And then finally, the fifth question, the last question was a, a thoughtful uh, response from George who was talking about his idea that he had for uh, a kid's product. And it wasn't a kid's product per se, but it was an interesting idea. I don't think it's practical, George, but it's worth putting out there. I, I do know that the card companies listen to this podcast, and so I'll, I'll just put out there what you said. You had the kind of interesting idea that there'd be uh, tiered pricing or dual pricing on, on open product in the LCSs, in the local card shops that they would have one price if you open it in front of them and a higher price if you take it and and leave with it unopened. I, I think there's something about sales tax in Texas that you pay sales tax on food depending on whether it's opened or not opened or prepared or not prepared. So there is a two-tiered uh, treatment. But first of all, I don't know how you define a kid because if the kid walks in or the dad walks in, it's for my son, it's for my daughter, that's tricky. But I like the interesting idea. And you mentioned that if people were encouraged to buy the box and open it there, if there was a discount for doing that, again, hard to police that, but if you were to get a discount for that and it was through the LCS, through the local card shops, and it had a kid element to it, I like that. I like the fact that that activity was going on in the LCS that, as you said, would increase excitement at the LCS. That They're breaking it right there. And finally, positive consequences. It, it might have some discouragement for people that are flipping the wax or buying it in the LCS and then flipping it or buying it at Target or Walmart. If you can even find it there, this would be a problem for those venues as well. But in the LCS, if people were opening the cards right there, then number one, you wouldn't have this box being flipped or saved up for five or 10 years. I'm not a big fan of excess putting back of wax as an investment. I think cards are made to be enjoyed. If it's a very small percentage, that's okay. Um, Two last points about that. Number one is kids generally want what they can't have. They want what the big kids want or what the adults want. They're really smart. I don't think we need to talk down to kids, but I do agree we need to make it accessible. But if it's free for kids, they won't appreciate it. So give them an opportunity to get something. And then lastly, the idea that George had that I like is similar to the uh, wrapper redemptions that companies have done over the years and what sometimes they do at the national where you open up, you buy the box there, you open up, you get the wrappers, you turn in the wrappers. If the wrappers 
are redeemable for something really outstanding and that's time limited, you'd have to think twice about putting it back if there was some special deal, again, a benefit for opening sooner rather than later. George, thanks for the creative listeners. Thanks for all of the questions and, and your interest in the hobby. I take that seriously. So continue with your questions to drjamesbeckett at gmail.com. I'm happy to address them. Have a good weekend and I'll see you on Monday with another full episode.